0: WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: Get an accountability partner and don't do this alone. It also obviously involves being in fellowship. You ought to be in a home Bible study. You ought to be in a Sunday school class. You ought to be in fellowship with others. You ought to be in church. Don't do this alone. If you're struggling out there, with all these youthful lusts, then maybe a little light bulb should come on over your head. You know, are you doing it alone? Well, you need others. So I think that's a sensible thing to do.
2: An eyeball would never survive by itself. Neither would a hand or a leg. As the body of Christ, we need each other in the same way our physical body parts depend on each other and work in coordination. So a sensible person would never try to live the Christian life alone. One of the characteristics of a godly young man is that he is sensible. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of studies from Titus chapter 2 about the characteristics of godly young men. For more than 26 years, Pastor Steve has been serving as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. When a gymnast learns a new routine, especially if they are ones where they could fall and get hurt, they use a spotter. The spotter is there to make sure that when the athlete makes a mistake, they don't get hurt. If the spotter is experienced, he can also make suggestions to prevent a fall. That's what accountability partners do for each other. As Christ followers, the Lord often leads us into new areas of growth. Accountability partners spot each other. They help prevent falls, and if there is a fall, they help the other partner recover. The sensible, godly young man not only has accountable relationships with others, he places himself under the authority of his elders. If you remember, one of the characteristics of a godly young woman is that she submits to her husband. Well, her husband also submits. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more about how to be a godly young man.
1: Now, even though Timothy was spiritually mature, he still struggled with youthful lust. And the word lust simply means desires. It does not have to be sexual desires here. In fact, while I think that's included in this, I don't think that's the primary thing Paul was was talking about. I know that we normally uh, take it that way, but I'm not convinced that's the main thing Paul had in mind. I think what Paul had in mind, based on Timothy's conflicts with uh, elders, leaders in the church, uh, false teachers, that type of thing... Uh, the debates that were going on. I think the thought here is that probably while it involved uh, sexual things, it was more like uh, impatience, the impatience of youth, intolerance uh, for people who disagree with someone who's young, a lack of love for those who don't see it my way. I think Timothy struggled with all of these things, and I think all young men do. Um, How about uh, the love of arguing and debating my point? how often Paul has to say to Timothy in first, first and Second Timothy, don't argue with these men. Don't get into them, uh, into these, these debates. You concentrate on the truth. You just teach the truth. Don't get into hair-splitting theological discussions with them. It's a no-win situation, Timothy. Why would he say that to Timothy? Because I think Timothy wanted to do that. Because that is characteristic of young men. They want to debate. They want to show you how much they know they're not particularly tolerant towards those who see it differently they they lack uh the 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 maturity to to know when to back off and it's nothing but pride there are other issues too that that young men struggle with and i think these were all the uh the things that paul had in mind that certainly this included them not only pride but loving money and things of that nature that's why it's very appropriate that paul said timothy flee these youthful lusts. And so Paul's solution is flee. What does he mean by that? Don't stop and rationalize it when you're in the midst of a temptation to be proud or in, uh, debating someone and, and someone disagrees with you. Run from these lusts. Don't start to even try to think it through. Just get up and get away. Don't even get into it to show how strong you really are that you can get into uh, a debate but back off. Paul said don't even get into it to begin with. But there's more. There's more. The Bible never says don't do something without telling you what to do. And here's what Paul says. He says, not only flee youthful lust, but Timothy, and, and this is a point that a lot of people leave out. They just see the negative. Don't do this, but they don't see the positive. And the positive is pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Watch this. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, Timothy, pursue the things of God. Obedience. Pursue obedience, Timothy, to God's word. Pursue trusting the Lord in difficult circumstances. Don't debate these guys. Trust the Lord. How about this? Pursue loving them. Timothy, yeah, they disagree with you, and some of them aren't even brethren. And some of them are nasty, and they look down upon you, and they criticize you, and you can't do anything right in their eyes. How about this? Love them, Timothy. How about this when he says, and peace? Yeah, they argue with you and they're contentious and uh, all these things. But how about this, Timothy? Be reconciled to them. Be at peace with them. But how do you do this? Because that's hard. Notice the end. And this is the point that I want you to see where men, young men can be sensible. Notice the end of verse 22. With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, don't try to fight these youthful tendencies alone, young man. Get around others, fellowship, accountability. Don't battle this stuff by yourself. Don't do it alone. Have fellowship with others. And this is the great truth of accountability. Accountability, you've heard me say that before. But I want to urge the young men. I want to urge the young men. In fact, this would be good for all the men and all the women as well. But we're talking about the young men this morning. I want to urge you to have choose an accountability partner. An accountability partner. Why? Because it's common sense to do that. And that's what Paul is talking about. Now, what is an accountability partner? An accountability partner is another person, a believer, who you regularly meet with, you regularly meet with, and they regularly ask you questions about your walk with Jesus Christ. And you ask them questions about their walk. What kind of questions? Well, questions like this. How often have you had your quiet time this week? It's a major question. Somebody comes to you, all kinds of problems. Well, I'm struggling here. First thing you want to ask is, have you been in the Word? Have you had your quiet time? Well, they say, no, I really haven't. Well, you know the answer. You know the the problem. Uh, Another question is, how have you applied God's word to your life this week? Not just your quiet time, but how have you applied the word to your life? Well, I really haven't. Well, you really need to. And you have an accountability partner. What sins need confession? What sins are you struggling with? What issues are you struggling with? What struggles are on your mind? Also, how, another question, how did you influence uh, or, or who did you influence this week for Jesus Christ? Now, if somebody's embarrassed to do that, that's why you need an accountability partner. Because, first of all, we're accountable to God. We understand that. But it is also helpful to know that there are other humans, who uh, other believers, who are holding you accountable, uh, accountable to do what, what pleases the Lord. So that's a very practical thing you can do. So, so young men, I urge you to be sensible. Get an accountability partner, and don't do this alone. It also obviously involves being in fellowship. You ought to be in a home Bible study. When Jack gets here, he's going to start to develop these things. Uh, More home Bible studies, a whole network. You ought to be in a Sunday school class. You ought to be in fellowship with others. You ought to be in church. Don't do this alone. If you're struggling out there with all these youthful lusts, then maybe a little light bulb should come on over your head. You know, are you doing it alone? Well, you need others. So I think that's a sensible thing to do. A second practical thing that a young man can do to be sensible and self-controlled is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is another passage of scripture in which the writer specifically addresses young men. And he says in in 1 Peter chapter 5, notice verse 5, he says, "...you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders." And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this statement, Peter tells the young men to humble themselves by submitting to the elders of the church. And the real issue he's after is not simply submitting, but humility. Not only does he say in verse uh, 5, about uh, clothe yourselves with humility. But notice verse 6, humble yourselves therefore unto the mighty hands of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. What does he mean? He means this, that God puts authority over us. In a home, he puts uh, parents over the children. In, uh, in, in a church, he puts elders over the people. And apparently, there were young men in these congregations or this congregation who didn't uh, think that the elders maybe knew what they were doing. They know better. And maybe they were not submissive, and obviously they weren't. And that's why Peter has to say, hey, submit yourselves to the elders because you don't know what's best. God knows what's best, and he's put authority over you. And uh, a lot of your anxiety may very well be connected with just rebellion against leadership. Why do I say that? Because notice, if we put together verse 7, which certainly appears to go with verse 6, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Why should you have anxiety and, and you're worried and upset over decisions that leaders have made? Why not just recognize that this is God's will and he's put you under their authority and just rest in it. Stop your anxiety. Stop your anxiety. And it may very well be that these anxieties led to uh, satanic battles and struggles that were unnecessary. Why do I say that? Because of verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So they were having spiritual struggles, anxiety, and Peter gets it right back to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What's the mighty hand of God? In this case, it's the elders. That's the mighty hand of God. Because if you don't, he says, God resists the proud, and that was their problem, and that's a problem with young men. It's a problem with older men, older women, younger ones too, but especially young men. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The most sensible thing that a young man can do is to submit to God's authority in the church. This is God's chain of command. This will help you not to have youthful anxiety related to a lack of submission. Sensible, yes. So all of these things are really, just to say this, young men, be sensible, use your heads, A better way, perhaps, to put it is to say, or another way to put it would be to say, you sanctified common sense. I think that's Paul's point. So now we move, we looked at the exhortation. Now we move from that to a very interesting portion of this passage. Uh, Key areas for young men to be sensible. What are some of the key areas that God wants you to be sensible in? And we see this in verses 7 and just the beginning of verse 8. In all things, Paul writes, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So after telling Titus to exhort the young guys to be sensible, Paul directly addresses Titus on some key areas for him to be an example to the young men. You see, keep in mind, Titus, like Timothy, was a young man. They were not beyond 50 or 60 Titus might have even been, probably was, Bible scholars tell us, a little bit older than Timothy. So Titus is probably in his 40s It's a nice age, young man. And uh, so Paul calls him to, to set an example, to model sensibility to the young men. Now, I think this is very, very pertinent for those of us who are elders in this church. I speak to those for a moment who are elders in the church. Who are uh, younger elders? Which sounds like an oxymoron, but if Titus was an apostolic representative and Paul was an apostolic re- uh, and Timothy was an apostolic representative, uh, certainly you have younger elders. These, and I say this to our men and myself, what we're about to, to look at are areas that young elders need to model to the other young men as well as all believers. These are some key areas. In fact, let me just have you look back at First Timothy again. We looked at this before, but let me approach it from another angle. 1 Timothy chapter 4. When Paul says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, obviously implies that some were doing it. Now, how does a young man, a young leader, gain credibility? Uh, I think in Timothy's situation, you have the older men looking down on the younger men. You don't gain credibility when you're a leader by uh, telling everybody how many degrees you have. Nobody's impressed with that. Okay. Uh, you don't gain credibility by... Uh, bragging about how much you've done for the Lord. Nobody particularly cares about that. What you do, the way you do gain credibility is just the way Paul says to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Well, how? How do I keep them from looking down on my youthfulness? Well, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourselves an example of those who believe. Be an example of Jesus Christ. Be Christ-like. That's the only way you gain credibility. The only way you gain credibility is by your, by your life. Be an example to them, be a model to them of what it means to be a Christian, and they will respect you. So I say that to not only young men, but to young ministers of the gospel. That's the way you gain respect. So having said that, there are some key areas that Titus, as a young minister, is to model sensibility to the other men. And we find, first of all, in the beginning of verse 7, he says, an example of good deeds. Be an example of good deeds. As their leader, Titus was to set a good example in his own behavior. That's a great truth. This must have been very important in that context because remember remember that Titus was, um, was battling there some false teachers who must have distorted the doctrine of grace. They must have said something like this. yeah, you, And there were Jewish false teachers. We know that from chapter 1. Yeah, you guys teach so much about grace that you don't care how you behave. That was a a criticism that Paul encountered often, and uh, we can still encounter that today. Those of us, and and those who were born again, all believe this, that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, no works. But we need to be careful that we don't uh, distort grace to say that you're saved by grace, but then you don't have to do anything else because Ephesians 2.10 that says, you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before ordained that you should walk in them. So yes, we're saved by grace. However, we are to demonstrate fruit in our lives, which are good deeds. Your good deeds can't ever get you to heaven, but they demonstrate that you have the reality of Christ in your life. That's exactly what James meant when he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. You want to see if I have faith? Look at my works. That's, that's the point here. And this becomes a key thought on how to teach young men to be sensible, how to teach them to behave properly and and to follow good deeds because they need to see sensibility in their spiritual leaders. They need to see good deeds there. They need mentors who will model how to be sensible by their good deeds. We all need models. And uh, I say this to our leaders, and let me apply it also to the deacons as well and staff personnel. uh, but especially to our elders, but to all those in in leadership positions. Uh, many times the New Testament speaks about modeling, about being a mentor. It may not use the, the word mentor, but it certainly uses the thought of being an imitator, an example. First Corinthians eleven, Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Notice second uh, or Philippians rather Philippians chapter three. I don't hear pages rustling, so I'll get to it. Okay, Philippians chapter three. Verse 17, Paul speaks about this. He said, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He said, follow my example. Watch me. That's how you teach sensibility. Guys, you want to know how to be sensible? You ought to be able to look at your leaders and say, so that's how you should live. He said it also in Philippians 4, nine: The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these. We ought to be examples. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells them about his example. He says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without pay, paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul said, when I came there, I didn't want you thinking that we came to, to make money off of you, so I worked. I worked night and day. I worked hard. Why did he do this? Verse 9. Not, uh, not because we did not have the right to this. Paul had every right as an apostle to say, listen, I minister to you, and uh, by right, you ought to pay me for that because the laborer is worthy of his hire. Paul said, but I didn't use that right. Why? But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. So you understand that the ministry is not about making money. It's about serving, and I wanted you to have an example for you to follow. That's, that's why Paul did it. Hebrews 13 speaks about the, the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, in a great verse, Hebrews 13, verse 7. The writer says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the results of their conduct, imitate their faith. Watch them. Look at them. They're to give you a model. They were a model to you. Remember that. Now, the bottom line is this. Young men need heroes to follow. True. Young men need heroes to follow. And they, you know what? Their heroes should be the spiritual leaders of the church. That's who their heroes should be. Young men need heroes. To the elders, I say we, we need to uh, make sure that our ministry goes far beyond what we just say in the pulpit or what we have in, say, in Sunday school or a Bible study. The pattern of our conduct should be consistent with our teaching, which is another way of saying practice what you preach. That's how you build sensibility into the young men in the church. And young men, you ought to know the elders well well enough. In fact, it says in 1 Thessalonians, know them who labor amongst you. Know them. It's your responsibility to get to know some of the leaders, elders and deacons in the church. Know them. Know them so that you can see what it is about them that, uh, that you should follow. So Titus is to set an example of good deeds. Another key area that he's to model, uh, being sensible with the thinking, is this, purity of doctrine. Notice he says that in verse 7, the next thing, purity in doctrine. If ever there was an area in, in which to think clearly and sensibly about, especially in our day and age, it's in the area of teaching and doctrinal truths. Paul urged Titus to preach pure orthodox doctrine in contrast to the false teachers around him. Young men, I want to exhort you to take seriously the importance of doctrine, the importance of the teaching of, of the word of God, because we are living, we don't expect sound doctrine from the world, obviously, but we are living in a day and age in which even Christians have lost, many Christians have lost balance of, In doctrine, if they even consider doctrine, balance in it. They have absorbed errors from the world. They have absorbed uh, absolute uh, distortions from the world, and it is being incorporated into teaching. And there is a great need today for purity in doctrine. This is a call to think clearly about biblical truth. Many Christians don't. They don't think clearly about being, about biblical truth. They are influenced by subtle and not so subtle error. It is just amazing. It is just absolutely amazing that men who were once orthodox in doctrine have gotten into so much error. I'm reading an article uh, these days. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm reading an article in a theological journal about um how old proven principles of Bible interpretation, proven principles, common sense stuff, is no longer the stuff that many leaders are going to. Now you know how we're interpreting the Bible? Uh, this is the gist of the article. What does it mean to me? See, I become the final authority. It's not, what did it mean to the writer? What did it mean to the original readers? It, what, what does it mean to me? Now, you try to study the Bible that way, and you're going to have, have, if we have 350 people here, you got 350 different interpretations.
2: The Bible has survived thousands of years and countless attempts to destroy it. People have burned it, suppressed it, outlawed it, and otherwise used every means they could think of to keep this amazing book out of our hands. It should be obvious that God protected the Bible in order to communicate with us. If we fail to understand his message, then his miraculous preservation of his word will do us no good. One of the most alarming questions I hear in small group Bible studies, maybe the most alarming, is what does this verse mean to you? Here's a better question. It's really a twofold question. What does this verse mean to God and how does it apply to you? You see, doctrine is important. What we do flows from our beliefs. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will continue to teach from Titus chapter 2 in our next verse-by-verse. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for more than 26 years. Now we at Verse-by-Verse Ministries have the opportunity to make his practical messages available to you through this great radio station. We are a faith ministry, supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to their own church. Today's class was the middle of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, it is available on CD or cassette. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. If you would like to listen again to today's program or a previous one, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Peter Silseth, and I hope to see you back in class again next time. Pastor Steve will continue to develop this subject of doctrine and then move on to other characteristics of godly young men. I hope to see you then.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by. We're here to give you strength between